0: Good evening, nice to see you all. I wonder whether anybody here has considered the title at all As my talk, has wondered about it, Nourishing the Divine Essence, the understanding the goal of human evolution. Did anybody think about it, if we are or have a divine essence, why would it need nourishing? Does anybody think anything like this, or didn't you think about it at all? Well, I'm not expecting any a thought about it, but if you do, it is perhaps a slight puzzle at first. If there is a divine essence in us, or if we are this divine essence, wouldn't something that is divine be already complete and perfect in itself? I could answer very briefly to that, yes, of course, it would be complete and perfect in itself. But now it's interesting how nourishment, food, does play a part in worship. Let us think for a moment of the communion in the Christian tradition that Jesus, or Yeshua as she was actually called, broke bread and wine, take this, this is my body, this is my blood, do this in remembrance of me. We have a solid bread, well fairly solid, that's coming from a seed, The wheat, plant, and we have something liquid. And these are to be taken in, into the human organism. Now there may be many ways of interpreting this, but I think we'd all agree if this is anything other than a pure symbolic act, then it must have to do with triggering or stimulating a process in the human being. Otherwise it's a a symbolic thing, a symbolical thing, or if you like you can take the official church doctrine I'll leave that to you but if you try to look at it with an open mind could it be that in a certain way in a certain context taking in these two substances and at the moment I'm emphasizing a more solid one and a more liquid one could it be that this could trigger a process in the human being now in the cosmic tradition this is the wisdom stream that has all gone through the whole of earth evolution in a hidden way and is behind the wisdoms of all the different great cultures the Hindu, the Tibetan, the American Indian, the European, the Celtic and so on they all derive from one source in this tradition there has always been a certain connection between nourishment and the spiritual path and those places, those groups that were directly connected with the cosmic tradition tended to be in the form of village communities in remote places Tibet perhaps, the Caucasus, Asia Minor perhaps many places and it could happen, as we know this from certain writings from the community of St. John because St. John the disciple of Jesus also was directly in this tradition as of course Jesus himself and they would take the evening meal together and at the mealtime, there would also be prayers, meditation, even teaching now my own teacher uh, on our project especially in India we also do this uh, I was saying earlier that we just had a piece of jungle, a piece of land which we bought five years ago above the river Ganga, a very beautiful spot and one of the first buildings that was put up was a room where we could sit and eat it was just a plain room, no furniture, only mats on the floor and a kitchen so that we could eat together we of course had to eat if we went there now there would be circle of people it would include anybody who was studying there also those who cooked those who looked after the land any local villagers who were there we would sit in a circle we would be served and we would eat very often before the food there would be a very beautiful talk or meditation from my teacher and quite often afterwards now, my teacher actually, Shin he comes from Switzerland, he's a Swiss person although from his appearance, some people take him to be Indian In the old days, uh, when I first knew him, when we, I was with him in Switzerland and South Germany occasionally he would also say, for our meeting this afternoon, I would like tea to be brought and tea would be placed in the centre, it would be served out and then our teaching would go on and sometimes he brought a form of a the communion there would be a big chalice of grape juice and there would be bread baked in a certain way and this would be passed around from one to the other these two substances so what is nourishment? and why would physical nourishment be connected in some way with spiritual nourishment? are they connected or is it merely symbolical? I would like to go straight on and describe a very basic and very ancient form of Hindu worship uh, A ritual that you may have seen on your journey in India is everywhere to be found in India and apparently according to my teacher this ceremony was found all over the ancient world but only India has actually preserved it and this is the worship of the divine in the form of a stone a stone that is placed erect they call this the Shiva Lingam and if you go to any Shiva temple but not only a Shiva temple in most temples you'll find this somewhere an erect stone rounded at the top and in a kind of vessel container now some smart people like to say oh yes that's clear that's the male generative organ in the female womb and so on Well, yes, it could also be that. It is, of course, also that. But I would like to say also that the stone is represented like that. It looks like a pillar arising from a formed base, roundish, very often with an opening at one side for a liquid to pour down and it is rounded at the top. Now the archetypal or original form of this stone is actually an oval, an ellipsoid and in India there's great value placed on such a stone if it is found in nature you do find for instance especially in the Himalayas you find in the river Ganga you find stones that have been formed like this that are a perfect ellipsoid and these are considered very very valuable these are considered the natural lingams so the one that's placed in the temple in a vessel in a way is part of this, the base part is hidden but archetypally it is this ellipsoid geometrically perfect and what is an ellipsoid? it is a form, a perfect mathematical form that has two centers, two focal points this is how it's geometrically constructed but in the temples, in the temple form you usually find it in the form of a pillar with one rounded end now the worship goes like this. This is of course a symbol of Shiva, the god Shiva, who is regarded as, in a way, the embodiment of the whole godhead. He is also a part of the Trinity, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, and regarded as part of the Trinity, Brahma would be the creator, Vishnu would be the preserver, that which holds everything in the course of space and time. and. Shiva the destroyer, the one who again dissolves everything transforms it so that the new creation can arise therefore Shiva is also portrayed as the great dancer the king of the dance, surrounded by the flames but those who are special worshippers of Shiva the special, the Shavites, the one who, for whom Shiva is the aspect of God that they most relate to and want to worship Shiva himself embodies the whole cosmic creative process and so in this image of the lingam the upright erected stone embedded in the yoni the female organ if you like the receptive vessel we have an image of the cosmic creative process and this you will find then in the centre, the sanctum as it were of the temple you must, you must have seen this in Varanasi in the princess of the main Shiva Temple there and then The worship could go like this. Of course it is accompanied by many mantras, by prayers, by uh, hymns, songs and so on. But the basis of it is this. Pure water is taken and it is poured over the stone. That is the heart of the ritual. I have done this sometimes. The priest has been reading a text and I have been asked in our small temple on our land to pour the water slowly over the stone while he's reading this mantric text and then the water pours over the stone down into the vessel and from there pours out perhaps into the earth or perhaps into a vessel to catch this liquid but the full ritual will involve a great deal more than water water is poured first of all then next usually comes milk after milk they will very often uh, put curd or yogurt and then uh, honey sugar uh, this ghee, this uh, Indian clarified butter and other things can come then sandalwood paste is taken and put on often then certain signs are inscribed on this stone you may think what a mess and of course it does make a mess and after each offering again water is poured and it is washed away and the next thing comes I mean long after the worship is over they have to do a good clean up in this temple and sometimes we jokingly say that after a Hindu ritual the place looks like a battlefield because also fruits are offered, flowers are offered, placed sometimes on the top of this lingam many many things there are some ceremonies where for instance a thousand, uh, a thousand and one leaves from a holy tree a thousand and eight leaves are offered and placed around this lingam it's very elaborate and very extraordinary for a philosophy, a religious outlook that really looks to the absolute that is beyond matter, beyond the physical universe uses so much matter, so many materials, so many substances in its worship and perhaps it would look strange to you to see milk and yogurt and honey and all these things poured onto a stone and washed away these are good substances that you could eat I'd just like to mention one more thing. When all these substances have been put on the stone, then there's always a little bit remaining in the original vessels. The last stage will be to take the remains of the yogurt, the remains of the milk, the remains of the sugar, etc., etc., and mix them all together with water, and that mixture is then poured on. You might think this is a little bit superfluous, because it's all got anyway, washed away with water, but this is the form of the Worship a feeding of the stone in a strange way now what is ritual really? so we have also rituals in the Christian church the main one being the communion the breaking of the bread and the wine are these things related with this very ancient ritual of pouring things on the stone I could perhaps mention another Hindu ritual in parcel uh, this is the fire ritual you might have seen that where a sacred fire is lit and again similar substances are put into the fire with prayers and mantras especially in that case seeds and grains but also honey, sugar, ghee and go all this is offered into the fire, it's burnt up again you can think do I really want to put my rice and my other seeds and things into a fire what is really going on here? now a true ritual is always in harmony with cosmic law a true ritual I'm saying and there's a stage in spiritual development uh, where we begin to understand the connections between the macrocosm and the microcosm the microcosm being us or being our little world and the great universe we have many examples even in our modern technology of correspondences I don't know if this is an absolutely exact analogy but I often think we don't notice sufficiently the remarkable fact that enormous amounts of information can be stored in a microscopically piece, small piece of matter whole operas, whole films, whole sequences of visu- visual imagery and sounds can be compressed into you know, a disk into very small spaces now this is again an absolute copy of what goes on everywhere in the universe something very very great can be compressed or can have its corresponding process in a very small medium and this is how ritual works in a very small way you do something that is nevertheless a key process in the cosmos and thereby you stimulate that process so all the true rituals have been something that a human being does on a physical level but it stimulates uh, something on higher and subtler levels but for this ritual really to happen it happens the more you are in harmony with what you are doing it is not just that the water reaches onto the stone but the point is a human being who is a thinking, conscious, feeling, perceiving being does this and all his forces thinking, feeling, willing and so on, are in harmony with this act that he's doing. This is then the magic that works it, that causes it to multiply, to to work in the cosmos. But now these rituals which work out into the great cosmos also work deeply into us. It goes into the other direction. And one reason why we do rituals and why my teacher is now very... um, concern to revive and continue these essential, these real rituals is because we need them for ourselves not just to gain um, some kind of feeling for spirituality or to help us concentrate on something spiritual that's not it at all it is that by doing this in this way we also enable certain processes to happen in us of a spiritual, chemical nature I could put it like that So, I would like to come now back to speak of the stone of the lingam What is this actually and why are stones... So, I think it would be very nice if we just place our hands like this as though we had a ball between them Just imagine now, just relax your hands but try and feel that you've got a ball between your hands and you might actually begin to feel something because the uh, etheric energies or the electromagnetic field around you begins to densify and you begin to feel So Now I'd like it to be so that it's really round so don't have it too far apart. Have it so that it's a real round ball and just turn your hands a little though so you're turning this ball now if it's really around a sphere it'll have one centre now if we begin to draw our hands a little apart we could imagine that this round sphere is becoming a little elongated and let's say now in our imagination we elongate it till it becomes a perfect ellipsoid or if you like an egg form a bipolar structure with two centers, two focal points and then let's now compress it again to a round, to a ball, to a one-centered uh, entity, and then again draw it out until it becomes this egg if you like or this ellipsoid with the two focal points and then we could if we want to go on and on stretching this is actually an exercise in feeling our etheric forces if you've already practiced in this way it will be possible for you to let the hands come further and further apart and you still feel an energy field between them if you haven't practiced this you might not get the sensation straight away but you will do eventually because we all have these forces You just have to get used to freeing them then let it come back again let's bring it back to an ellipsoid and then let's bring it back to a ball and then let's compress it to a very small ball now, if you've got a good energy field between your hand, if you're really feeling something, then just take your hands and place them on the centre of your breast and let that energy flow into you. If you didn't feel anything at all, never mind, it's simply, it simply needs, it needs a little practice. But not a great deal. It's quite easy to do. Now, I feel tempted at this point, and I think I'm going to do it, to do that again but not with our hands but with sound I hope you're all <coughs> courageous enough to sing one tone <laughs> now if you were in Hindu you must have heard of the sound OM which they usually transcribe these days with the letters OM that's how it's normally the Hindu letter the Sanskrit letter the sign is usually transcribed as OM and it's usually sung as OM but it has variations in actual fact the actual Sanskrit sign is more like OM um. An om, but it's usually transcribed as om, and I'm going to ask us to sing it as om. I'll give you a tone, hope it's one that suits everybody, and we'll just hum that tone for a minute to try and get it, and then we'll sing om with a beautiful round mouth, a beautiful round o. We're going to sing this sphere that we made with our hands. We're going to have an audible sphere instead of an energetic sphere, a sphere in space. All right, off we go. Let me think of a tone. Can you hum that one? Of course, the men will be an octave lower.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, we've got a whole lot of different tones. <laughs> That's all right. They, they harmonize with each other. We'll just try once more. and see if we can get one tone. If not, we'll settle for a harmony. That's also all right. It would still work. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, all the ladies, alone. Mm -hmm. Now, all the men join in with whatever you can manage. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll take the sound that seems to be coming from Nigel and perhaps from Hugh. Is it your name, Hugh? Is that right? Yeah, okay. You were singing something like this. you were saying, Ooh, well, you were right then, you were our tone. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you can also sing that tone, that would also go. All right, once more the tone. Mm. Once more the... note can put everybody's No, no, it doesn't put it out, it does harmonize. All right. Oh, that's a better tone you've got now, that's even a better harmony. Good. Now, I want us to really sing it, ohm, round. And after all, you may know that this... Tone contains all the tones This is the original word, if you like The sum total of all creative sounds This is the creative power of God The word of Brahma, if you like So let's sing it with due reverence, if you like Or, or at least with interest That it is something, it is a power And if we really sing it with a real round O We will actually feel in the space around we've been doing this in our workshops and we did it this morning I believe in our work our meditation and they did it very nicely so we'll try a few times going to sing it in another way, the way it can also be sung, where this OM is more as it were spread out into three letters, OM can also be sung like this, a more fanned out, spread out
1: OM Let's try this now om.
0: was different, had a different effect how did it work for you? much nicer, much nicer all right? alright <laughs> 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 like uh, yes, yes it's,
1: it's for me yes. I find it's a much nicer way of
0: actually saying it seems more round yes, alright, yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> just, ju- well, let's just now sing Aum three times and Aum three times again and then I will continue speaking, alright that's OM three times. Oh. I don't know if you felt anything like this, that the Aum was a kind of opening out or enrichment of the Aum now it says in the beginning of St. John's Gospel in the beginning was the Word you could ask yourself, well, if you're a child especially what was there before the beginning You know, my little brother and I, when we were about four and five years old, we used to ask each other such questions. If you like, what is there beyond the world? Oh, there must be a wall around the world. Then what's beyond the wall? Oh, well, there must be another wall, and so on. What was there before the beginning, before the creative process began? Now, of course, this is an unanswerable question, put like that. And we realize also that we have to step into a dimension where our normal flow of time our time-space continuum doesn't operate in that way otherwise you always get before, 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 before and so on I often used to wonder as a child also what if nothing ever was? we wouldn't even know supposing nothing it was inconceivable Mm -hmm. Uh, what was there before the beginning what is there when there is nothing I think I uh, began my very first lecture here uh, with a song from the Cosmic Tradition which goes like this from the words Where you find nothing more within you, there is the Sun Now spiritual scientists know that at the center of the Sun there is nothing or not anything that if scientists really could send some spaceship to the center of the sun, they wouldn't come to this super, super hot fire which they expect, but they would come to nothing, to not anything. So we can understand it like this the primal source of creation, the womb from which everything comes or came, because in this way we can't really use verbs with a tense, a past, a present, or a future is this great I will say not anything I won't say nothing because it is in a way nothing nothing that we can name nothing that we can get hold of nothing that is anything Is perhaps just is itself if you like and this can be conceived of in its most perfect way as a round as a sphere if we're going to think in a form we're going to express it in some way we'd have to express this in a sphere perhaps a unity everything that is a unity, a oneness that would be then a sphere uh, now my teacher has drawn uh, certain diagrams or certain pictures really, very beautiful of the creative process and he draws, he does beautiful chalk drawings on black paper they're absolutely perfect, they're exquisitely beautiful no smudges or correcting himself because you can't do that in this form and this sphere will just be the black paper although there might be a hint something is there and round surrounding this sphere are very subtle kind of violet weaving lines a little bit like flames and we say in our tradition that the violet flame the violet ray is the primal fire the flame that is never extinguished now we're talking a kind of picture language for something that is, but is not in our earthly space-time dimension. So if we have to use a picture language, but I'm not talking symbolically, talking of realities. I remember one place that I like to visit in the Himalayas, where you can sit on a high hill, a high mountain actually, and see the whole Garhwal range of the Himalayas and on some of these high peaks there are very holy places, there are shrines and I've often contemplated this line of snow peaks when we've had good weather and I could see them and they look in a way very close and we're approaching the highest mountains in the world they're not yet the very highest those are to be found on the Nepal-Tibetan border and this is a very happy, beautiful feeling I don't know if any of you have done this but the atmosphere of course is very clean, very pure we're in a thinner air the sky then is a rather deep violet blue something very pristine about this and I had the feelings sometimes when I sat there that on these or connected with these mountain peaks were very very high intelligences high beings we would say and I felt that they were guardian beings so I asked my teacher I said who are these beings here and he said ah they belong to the Raza de they are guardian spirits that are placed there, especially to guard India. Now, it's pity there's no Anthroposophist here, because Rudolf Steiner speaks of the nine hierarchies, the nine levels of beings, that s- created beings that uh, stand higher in evolution than the human being. There are nine main divisions, as it were, the may- main stores of the house above but these, the Raza da Razim, are really above that they are that which really directly surrounds what I have to call God creative source if you like and so we can now picture this primal sphere of unity this spring of all creation as surrounded by these beings The the flames of God, if you like or the, the, we also refer to them as the guardian of the secrets the guardian of the divine secrets, the Razadarazim I could say more about them but I shall not digress for the moment I, what I really want to stress is we think of this primal unity this source of all creation this great unity as a sphere and in some way the central creative power is invisibly without dimension in this sphere now in the Hindu mythology it is said that Shiva let us now identify this source with the god Shiva to give it a name that Shiva sat on Mount Kailash he was the great ascetic he was the great yogi he is the great yogi I shouldn't use the past tense in respect of him sitting there matted hair and all the rest of it you might have seen pictures in meditation simply in meditation now the woman who loves him, Parvati, the lady of the mountains she wants to attract his attention but how do you attract the attention of a meditating yogi? because she wants to begin the world creative process she wants to entice him out of the, his eternal meditation to come into activity, to begin his dance to begin the dance of creation and there are all kinds of legends and stories about how he do, how she does this I don't need to repeat those for now but what is this referring to? I could say like this when the divine not anything, the divine silence the divine source of all creation stirs as it were begins to stir out of its total unity then this perfect sphere begins to move and to become gradually a bipolar being you could say that God divides himself into God and Goddess you could if you like say Parvati succeeds in taking Shiva out of his meditation and interesting him in the creation of the universe begins to resolve begins to revolve to dance the flames begin to dance around now my teacher has shown what actually happens then he's actually made these very exquisite drawings when this form now I'm not speaking in terms of space and time but of dimensions beyond that when this sphere begins to become a bipolar and we say that Shiva has divided himself into Shiva and Shakti or the primal unity has become, if you like Father God and Mother God which would be the correct way to designate the Godhead It's uh, the Christian God the Father is one-sided it would really be correct, the God Father Mother primal ground, if you like when this begins to happen then you can describe, as it were, the father aspect, or the Shiva aspect inside this egg shape, or this oval within this inner, inmost inward, inward, inward space surrounded by the dancing flames of the highest beings around God the Raza Berezin, the guardians of the divine secret the masculine aspect would be portrayed as something like a sun something that rays, rays out and rays are something that just goes straight out light rays that go out and the female aspect, the mother aspect is portrayed as more in blue-green colours forming a vessel, or not just one vessel but many vessels, many vessels to receive these rays so this would as it were be the beginning of the cosmic dance the dance of creation and as the process goes on this begins to multiply so that in the upper half where the sun is, the raying one, this itself also polarizes. And part of it becomes the sun, the masculine being, and a part of it becomes again the feminine receptive. And down below the same happens but the opposite way round. Part of it becomes the feminine, part of it becomes the masculine. So we get here a sun, here if you like, I'll call it if you like a moon like being, because although it's blue it's a kind of crescent moon shape and the other way round down below and something begins to arise in the middle now this process goes on I showed some of these drawings to um, a young man, a student of physics, it's actually this young man Tim I mentioned to you Jill and he looked at it and he said my goodness that's a perfect picture of cell division this is just how the cells divide and this again shows the exact correspondence between the divine cosmic processes and The process is right into the macrocosm. Everything in us, everything in the physical universe, down to the last detail, is a reflection of the same cosmic processes. So this divine seed, I'll call it that now, this ellipsoid, unfolds in this way, and it unfolds a most intense and complex inner life. And as it goes on, it begins to elongate more and more and more and becomes what we could now call a pillar. Now I have to go back to another legend from the Hindu mythology. I spoke of three gods, Brahma, Vishnu and Shiva. And this story is told by the Shivites, the ones who worship Shiva. They said that uh, Brahma and Vishnu were having a quarrel about uh, where this pillar of light, which is Shiva, ended. Uh, I can't remember the story in great detail but they were quarrelling and Vishnu was saying to to Brahma I bet you can't find the end of the pillar which is Shiva because by now in the cosmic process he had become a pillar of light and Brahma was saying well of course I can and so they said all right so I think one of them decided I'll go down and see where it ends down there and the other one said I'll go up and see where it ends up there well neither of them could find the end they went on and on and on and on and on and on up and down. And I think one of them, it was Brahma, in the end got fed up with this and came back to the middle and said, have you found the end of the pillar and Vishnu had to say no and Brahma said, well as a matter of fact I did but he wasn't telling the truth and there were certain consequences to that which I can't remember. But the main point I want to say is that this pillar of light is conceived of then when the, this seed begins to elongate, 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 this pillar of light is considered to be endless and infinite. Now what is the significance of this pillar of light? When the, the primal egg or seed or lingam ellipsoid, begins to elongate into a pillar, that signifies the beginning of the way, the space, the journey into space and time. That this is the pillar that forms the way in the way it's the first dimension. It's the first beginnings of actually forming of cosmic spaces so when Jesus Christ, or Yeshua as I should say, said I am the way he was also meaning this that which out of the dimensionless begins to move and to create into space and time so in a very simple way, that's the beginning, that's how is conceived and described in the Hindu mythology and what is in St. John's Gospel is in absolute accordance with this I could just pause here for a moment and say what in us is in the dimension of space and time and what, if anything, in us also lies outside this dimension do you have any feeling for that? whether you are atheist or religious I mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And that space and
0: time is the Yes Do you experience that in any way?
1: <laughs> I do when I meditate
0: Yeah, right, yes How is that possible when you meditate?
1: Um, it's almost a sense of uh, not being aware of the physical senses
0: mm-hmm. but being aware Yeah, yeah
1: being aware can explain it. It's mm-hmm. a very
0: simple way. But yeah. yeah. That's good. Not being aware of the physical, of senses, the body, the flow of time, space, but being aware. And you are aware, and you are aware that you are aware. Mm. Yes. And this is where we are approaching that very center in us, which is also without dimension. Now, what I was coming to in all this is that this primal lingam. I'm not saying now the sphere but the lingam which has the two poles and which is this creative space this creative seed of God has its exact replica in us we have a correspondence to this in what I've called in this uh, lecture the divine seed this is that in us which is a, in the image of God which is given to us and which is, now I'm saying this I have to be a bit careful here I will say is in us or at least belongs to us I won't even say it is in us at this point now I have to come to the origin of the human being because we weren't always there there were other world spheres, there were other planets, there were other galaxies but the human being as such was not always present in the universe we have our evolution, we have our history we belong to space and time I'm talking nevertheless in terms of many incarnations see our real biography as it were began many incarnations ago and let us say for the moment because K is not here uh, that it began with the evolution of the earth planet if she was here I'd have to go further back because <laughs> Rudolf Steiner writes of previous incarnations of our planet also We should think now that the human being has a double origin. Just as in this incarnation we have in a certain sense a double origin in that we have a mother and a father. We can't be born or created out of just one of them. We have to, be, and it takes a two that has to unite. Now I have often given this image to help understand what is the relationship between the cosmic father and the cosmic mother. I'm going to repeat this because it's the best image that I know if a child is going to come into this world man and woman have to unite in a certain way now that union the essential aspect of that union can be very very short I don't know how long it takes for the sperm actually to meet the ovum but it's a, it's a very short space of time it doesn't take very long to beget a child and then the man, if he wants to, can leave, depart and never appear again he can go to South America or the North Pole or whatever, he's done whatever he has to do but the woman is landed with nine months of pregnancy, has to carry this child and it is out of the woman's substance and the woman's organism that the child is built up, she offers her substance no, well, it is, she offers the pro- process of growth, she offers the possibility that this seed implanted by the man and again already the egg, the ovum, already has a surrounding quality the sperm which is much much smaller than the ovum is much more like the raying quality, received and then this is unfolded over nine months and the is born but I've mentioned this before, when that child is born it can just as much resemble the father as the mother although the father's part, let us say, took a split second, and the mother's part took nine months. Which means that in this seed was already the whole blueprint, the whole information. Well, not the whole, because the mother's information is also there. The child is a product of both in that sense. But this is an exact correspondence to the male Motherly part, the receptive part, which unfolds. Now, why do Shiva and Parvati, or God, Godfather and Godmother, create in this way? The fatherly principle gives the plan, the structure, the law, the basic dimensions. The motherly principle weaves around this and unfolds it and creates the forms on this basis. The father, in that sense, is the timeless, the, the simply the what is the mother force is that which unfolds in time and that's why also this relationship one to nine is so important if you like the masculine role the father represents the one and the woman represents the nine now I forgot to mention that when I was talking about the Hindu temple and the lingam that usually the lingam is portrayed not only in the, embedded in the yoni the female organ but also usually as a cobra wound around the lingam spiralling up and with the hood coming over some variation like this in our temple it's like this there is the cobra and the hood standing up but on the lingam itself spiralling up, with certain images are carved and these are little diagrams, cryptograms you could say representing the whole process of, e- of human evolution so again we have a picture in the lingam itself, the male principle of the timeless, that which simply is and in the cobra or that which spirals around we have the course of time, that which unfolds in time now I could explain our double origin simply like this there is a divine seed which is now and now is always now, 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 now Uh, now is never before or after this is the eternal seed, the eternal Shiva principle and then there is that which unfolds in time in the course of time it takes time for unfolding for forms to be created, for forms to dissolve this is the great time process cycles of time and we are this in terms of our body but also of our life energies our feelings, our thoughts, the events of our life we are time beings we have all lived through quite a span of time just taking this incarnation where is all that? is it important? does it belong to us? are we that? now we know of course that by the time we reach a certain age the time processes, the events of our lives have already imprinted them on our face we have become changed physically through the course of time, the body ages but the body also ages in a way that it carries an imprint, an effect of all that we've lived through that's a very important question what do I do with my biography? maybe I've had a very good life, a very happy life, a very productive life maybe I've had a life up to now with all kinds of problems, all kinds of difficulties maybe the whole aspects of my life I'd like to wipe out, I wish I could do over again or maybe there are parts of my life I regret because they're past and I'd like to continue them But all this is there now if we look at the human being we could say how big are you now if we take this concept of size to include not only the physical size but also the size in terms of time then the human being is enormously big even as far as the physical, we have a physical body of so many dimensions, you know, they're so, they're so high, we are so wide and so on. But we also know if we've studied spiritual things a little or had certain experiences that we consist, even in terms of space, of more than the physical body. We, can, we consist also of subtler energy fields that surround and penetrate the body. And the question is how big are these? Well, now, there are very many of them, but one can say as a provisional measure, if I take my arm and stretch it up and then circle it round me, roughly, a kind of boundary exists in this dimension. But that isn't the end, that's just the end of a more dense dimension. In fact, we extend in an enormous long way into space. In a certain sense, I could put it like this. If you look at a star, let us say the planet Jupiter, or Sirius, Something of you is reaching right out to that star Something of you can extend into cosmic dimensions So this is now in terms of space, how big is the human being? Uh, when I do a course on developing the etheric forces, as I'm going to do next weekend because a lot of our work is connected with the realising of these parts of our being and learning to use them rightly we begin to experience this. Everybody begins to suddenly experience, i much bigger, much greater, and expanding. And if you've begun to meditate, perhaps you've also had such experiences. You begin to feel these other parts of your being. So in terms of space, in terms of the space that we occupy or influence or inhabit, we are all very enormous. In terms of time, if we could, as it were, make a body out of time and we do in a certain sense have a time body a body or an energy sheath that contains as it were our whole life the time rolled up into an energy sheath this time stretches back all the years of our life it stretches back to our time in the womb it stretches back to the time when we were in the spiritual world it goes back to our previous incarnations back, 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 back you can think infinitely far back how far can you think and so on this is the size of the human being this is the one aspect of our origin but on the other this very essence which is beyond time and space which is actually of the nature of this primal lingam or this primal seed that I described that is the tiniest that you can imagine that is tinier more small than the smallest atom it is the smallest it is the subtlest it is the most concentrated there you are the smallest there you are the shortest in town you are only now however long it takes to be now you are simply the lightning flash so we exist we live suspended between the eternal moment now and the whole course of time. This is the true polarity or duality in us. The eternal moment, the eternal, the timeless, the dimensionless of the father and the unfolding in time with its great memory of the mother. And these two aspects in us are first of all represented by that which is connected with the top of our head, the father, connected with but not the same as the thousand petal chakra. And the mother pole, which is in the reproductive area, and encoded especially into this area, is the memory of the whole of Earth evolution. The great mother memory is deeply embedded, deeply encoded in us here. And we live in a good tension or a good exchange between these two poles. That is really life existing between these two poles. So how did we look before we were born and how will we look after we've died because we know that we lay aside the physical body death is that whatever I am, if I am anything leaves the physical body and these more subtle or invisible entities presumably move on for those of you who've had experience of death of death of other people you may have noticed that the body dies, the functions stop but it doesn't seem straight away that the person has left and slowly one has the feeling that that person has left often it feels as though the person is around their body and in most traditions they say it takes about three days for the life energies, the life energy structure the, to really leave that physical body if you studied spiritual science you know that it says something like this that gradually then this energy sheath this life energy sheath also dissolves into the cosmos and some time after that quite a considerable time after that our whole accumulation as a soul being of thoughts of feelings of speech and all these things that also dissolves so what is left? what is it that goes from incarnation to incarnation to incarnation what is left is a kind of is this Divine, Eternal Seed the original Divine Seed and what this soul has been able to accumulate on Earth as knowledge, experience but it's become so purified and so taken back to its essence that it is also now independent of these bodies, these sheaths, it's like a kind of essence for some traditions they refer to this more or less as the causal body I'll come back to that but I have to say something more about this seed I think now at this point before I elaborate that further did we, were we always this seed? did we always have this seed? how is it in respect of our double origin? now the earth was created over of course immense periods of time and spiritual science teaches us and perhaps our ordinary science is coming to this, I don't know but a planet arises first, it is first, if you like, pure energy and condenses gradually, gradually, gradually to if you like, the physical planet so our planet unfolded in this way and the human being was, as it were, planned and projected by God and by the gods by gods I mean the angels, archangels, archai, all these different hierarchies or in the Indian system the devas and so on by these different created beings who stand in their elu- evolution higher than the human being and are not perceptible to our physical senses they worked on the earth and they prepared the way of the human being they prepared this where was the divine seed if you like that was still with God or well, it was not there on the earth a certain physical basis was gradually prepared I'm having to make this very simple, I'm trying to make it simple gradually some kind of primitive forms arose the forerunners if you like of our present form of various kinds, it went through many 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 stages now evolution goes like this the gods, the creative beings carry out a work they carry out a work of creation and then at certain key points in that process, the divine source itself intervenes and gives a new, a quite new input into the process. Now there was a very, very key moment, my teacher says it was about between 15,000 and 9,000 years BC, before Christ, where the divine seed was really implanted into this structure that was the basis of the forerunner or the early form of the human being and that this divine seed was in a magical spiritual process brought enchanted down into connection with this basic organism that was becoming the human being and this was done with the help of all the gods with mantras with song and all the rest of it this seed was created and brought in connection with the human being and saying in connection with I'm not saying so much directly in the human being but as it were, every human being, every ho- human organism was equipped potentially with the seed was not yet so far that most organisms could directly receive it in the organism but in connection with it, like it's waiting for you it's a bit like a bank balance that's waiting for you if you're a young person, when you're 21 you can go and collect the cash that's been left for you a little bit like that. It's been left there ready for you. Each person has it, but you don't necessarily have it just yet. It's, if you like, waiting above you. So this is the essential. Every human being is endowed with this, but not every human being is yet able to embody this. And this is the great diversity of evolution. But the goal of evolution is that this divine seed will more and more totally enter the human organism right into the physical organism and from there will begin to transform this organism into a higher form now in the course of evolution there have always been beings higher than the human beings who have not completed their own evolution satisfactorily who have lagged behind in their evolution just as there are with us, of course, and some of these have become what we actually call opposing beings. They've brought hindrances in the way of evolution. I don't want to go just at the moment into the whole question of evil and sick beings. I just want to say for a the moment these beings are and were there and are still active and for their own reasons do not wish that the human being achieves the goal of evolution. They want to hinder that we achieve this because if we do achieve it the human being will become quite another being you know uh, Jesus said do you know that you are gods he said this to his disciples the human being potentially is a creator being, a creator god we will be the next hierarchy after the angels we will become the next creator generation but we are not that yet but this is our evolutionary goal and it will happen through the seed being able to be fully assimilated into the human organism and able to reform and uh, develop this it will be a spring in evolution when somebody achieves this they become actually even within the physical body they become a godlike like being I mean, Jesus Christ himself embodied this process in his whole death and resurrection this was a process he was as it were in advance preparing the way for humanity he wasn't doing it to impress you so that so you sign on and join his church he was doing it, this is the prototype this is the way of evolution this is the way for all human beings so some of these opposing beings actually stand very high in hierarchies and they also have a great wisdom and knowledge now I have to speak in a way that sounds very naive, sounds a bit like science fiction I, I don't know how else to do it but I am referring nevertheless to facts but which I have to put in our language for dimensions that really lie beyond our mentality and it goes like this God, the creator being, wanted to ensure that this divine seed could not be stolen or taken away and because it is a part of God it cannot be, actually this is the one part of the human being that is indestructible and he protected this creative seed he surrounded it, we say, by a blue sphere now I don't know if any of you have read in some of the yoga books or even seen in meditation what we sometimes call a blue pearl uh, certain people in certain Indian traditions do see this it seems that certain spiritual paths lead to a vision of this it doesn't mean that it's a more advanced path than any other it just means that's the way it happens like some routes to Everest will let you see the peak in advance and other routes don't let you see it but each route might be equally good but you can actually see sometimes what's called this blue pearl it's a very, very beautiful spiritual colour it's not an earthly colour and within it you can see something like a star very tiny, very subtle and within this star a kind of darkness kind of dark, indescribable point but it can be seen it is there and some describe then some yogas describe how certain experiences with this blue pearl but it is a protected seed protected by this blue and no opposing being can directly get at this So what they do is they try everything possible to set up conditions on earth whereby we will not be aware of it or we will be distanced from it or we will not be able to take it fully into our organism. This is their aim and I shall come on to speak now of the kind of things they do and of the kind of things we can do to ensure a right development because we are in a time now when this blue shield should begin to open. We are in a time now where it is intended that each human being take in fully this Divine Seed and, and allow it to unfold and allow it to transform us. If we can do this, if large numbers of human beings can achieve this then we will be able to transform this earth in a very short time and to heal its sicknesses so we will have become endowed with higher faculties. And this is what lies before us at this moment we are in this time so this blue shield is there where is it? if it is not in your organism where is it? now one of the great deeds of Jesus Christ of Yeshua who was a very high master the highest master of his time the highest developed human being and he could directly at one point in his life at the age of 30 receive the divine impulse, the divine creator source directly into his organism so he became thereby what we call a son of God he became a divine incarnation he was then able to act for the whole of humanity and he as it were installed it sounds funny a, I have to say, a ray of light in each human being that connects the human being on the one hand with the sun and on the other hand with the centre of the earth now, a lot of people now and a lot of different groups know about this. There are a lot of schools of meditation, especially in the West, but also a little bit in India, where you meditate a ray of light or a pillar of light. could be both. But there is actually a light, a light connection, a connection of light, an unbreakable light thread. You could compare it if you like to a laser, to a, we call it sometimes the diamond ray, uh, which is, unbreakable and connects each human being with the divine now this was a special task of Jesus Christ he installed this in every human being and this is one of the mysteries of the St. John's Gospel the St. John's Gospel is particularly concerned with this I am ray with the I am of the human being and so you find these different sayings I am the bread of life the bread of life I am the light of the world I am the door these are all different approaches to this mystery of the ray and of the Divine Seed which is in this ray so if the Divine Seed, the Lingam, the Blue Pearl the Blue God my teacher calls it because he says inside this Seed is now not just a Divine Seed but already a, a formed being a godlike being he says if this is not directly in you yet it is in your ray it is in descending and there's been all kinds of help to enable this to come so our task now is to enable this seed to enter into us that's the first part of the task but only some of the work is done when this is within us some people have it already within them others are very near to this others still have quite a lot to do on the other hand if one person achieves this fully it begins to have a chain reaction, a good chain reaction it you know, stimulates this in other people where does it enter into us? it enters into us through the top of the head through this point which in the young child is open, the fontanelle it enters through the great spiral which we call the thousand petaled chakra it enters there and its dwelling place, so to speak is in the very centre of the head between the pineal and the pituitary gland in this space there now you can find this space, you can sense it, perhaps you have already it can be found also if you take a vertical line from here down to the base of the throat and you take a horizontal line through the temples and you take a horizontal line more or less through the back of the skull where the spinal cord enters the head and the Ajna chakra behind the point the root of the nose where these three lines meet there is this spot where this, the place for this seed is to be found it can also then move to a place behind the breast a place behind the navel but the main seat of it is there one can stimulate this space with certain very simple exercises for instance even we could just do this now just for a little break if we are upright and we very slowly nod our head keeping it in this plane quite gently as though we're saying yes, 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 I understand if we just nod with great sensitivity a few times you may already begin to feel something like a condensation or a sensation somewhere in your head you may or you may not, doesn't matter and then after a while you come back to the upright and you pause for a minute and you feel and then you can turn your head from side to side looking to the right looking to the left but in an absolute horizontal plane the chin never changes its level you can do this with open eyes or with closed eyes very sensitively, very much with feeling and then you can bring come back to the center and again you might feel slight sensation so you're beginning to sense where the middle of your head is and then the third movement you can do is you lean your head onto your right shoulder so you had a cushion there so you were trying to bring your ear to the right shoulder come upright and do the same on the left you lean onto your left shoulder but keeping absolutely in this plane, this is what's important very sensitively, very gently please don't overdo these exercises if you want to do these things do them but very, just a minute or two because you could damage something very delicate if you overdo it and then you come back to the center and then you can, to finish off, do gentle circling movements there are other things I could show you but perhaps this is enough for the moment you circle one way round say twice, I think that's enough and then you circle in the other direction and then come upright and you might or might not yet but later perhaps begin to have some slight sensation of something in the centre of the head, but I will give you something more about this at the end, something more that uh, it's very good to do. Now that is the one work that we had to do. Oh, I must also again make another not diversion but another insert. I did ask, what does the human being look like? after death and before birth what is it then that actually having laid aside these different sheaths, the etheric and the astral and so on when we really are purely in the spiritual world and before we descend again to incarnation, that is we dip down again from the dimensionless down into space and time can you describe the human being, do we have arms, legs, face etc no we don't we are in that time simply this seed which may or may not have fully incarnated in this life but still we are simply this seed this little spark, this star of light and surrounding this we are a great field of energy but at least even that I have to modify I have to put it like this this seed which we are projects from itself sphere after sphere after sphere of transparent light a bit like an onion but these also tend gradually to go back into the centre after death but when we are coming towards incarnation and in life itself we are this star with these spheres of light that are projected outwards they say to nine levels some people call this the causal body I'm not quite sure if that's the really exact definition but um, these light sheets get projected out, there are thousands and thousands of them but there are as it were main nine main layers so to speak this we basically are now when a child is going to be conceived let us say when uh, from above uh, the child is planning which father and which wo- mother it wants to unite for its incarnation then of course we have to talk from a, a dimension that isn't in space and time working into space and time but it works like this the father's seed, the sperm is making its way towards the woman, the, the ovum, the egg and the divine seed, the very core of the human being, as it were, rides on the sperm they say this is one meaning of the symbol of the uh, young man riding on the dolphin rides on the sperm it, the, the central core of the child, incoming child connects itself with the father organism and the surrounding spheres of light that have been projected out of this up to nine layers of uh, light spheres that are projected out of this one sphere they come from this these penetrate the mother organism and then these two come together so the nine spheres of light begin to work into that part that works in time and space and builds and forms, the motherly and the very core of the human being, the I am, rides as it were on the sperm, on the seed principle and penetrates that. Now our divine seed, whether it's inside or outside, it projects these spheres, these transparent light spheres, and these become the basis On which is then projected all our other spheres, our etheric body and so on, our astral body. But this is the basis of what we are. Let's now, for a moment, take a picture. Uh, My teacher is very happy when we contemplate the stars. And he often says, Look at the night sky and choose a very small but very beautiful sparkling star that appeals to you and contemplate this star surrounded by darkness make a relationship with this star because this will stimulate that star which is at the center of your divine seed and it is very good sometimes to contemplate a star with the black surroundings the other thing he likes us to contemplate very much, among other things, is the full moon and we all know how beautiful the full moon looks in the sky and if it's a clear night around the full moon is a beautiful but very very delicate and subtle radiance and sometimes different rainbow formations, different subtle colors, it's very good for us to contemplate this because this stimulates a very essential process in us for the seed to enter into us, to enter into our organism it is necessary that we become more and more and more to our center that we free ourselves from all kinds of foreign influences that we act truly out of our own inmost will that we overcome in us all simply automatic behavior and a lot of our thinking 99% of our thinking most people is very automatic you think what is splurged out to you from the TV, from the newspapers you take up the opinions of those around you, you are full of the opinions of your parents, your teachers, your influences, advertising. The whole mental world is pretty much conditioned and dictated by the outside world. Now the more you break that down and see through it and take responsibility for your own mental and emotional space, the more chance you have that this seed can take up residence in you it also means, and this is very basic to the spiritual path and you'll find this expressed in different ways in all the traditions it is necessary that we free ourselves from all identifications now the human being loves to be someone and we have to give up being someone usually we like to be not just one someone but very many different someones but there are a lot of people also who have maybe one, two, three, four or five main identifications I'll give you a few very simple, clear examples we were working at this in our workshop yesterday where we were looking at the way people stand and walk and move because the way you move your body often reveals what you identify yourself with let us say you are a supermodel or a film star then your identification is with your body and with the beauty of this body and most of these ladies then have problems when the body begins to be less beautiful, no, no longer to support this identification There are very evil identifications in America especially, but uh, in the Western world that's extreme in America where the idea is subtly or not very subtly injected into young female humanity that you have to be a certain shape and size and if you are not this certain shape and size you are not worthy to be a human being and this is a terrible identification that they load on people and these young women have terrible trouble getting free of this, it's something that's imposed from outside or you have a certain position in life or you are successful at something that's fine, position, success, these are not wrong things but they become hindrances if you identify with them, if you think I am that if you do something well, if you are successful you can enjoy this we can be thankful we can take it as nourishment for our life but when we start thinking I am this we start hanging millstones round our neck we prevent prevent the entry of that diamond clear not anything which means we are everything this perfect transparent if you like extract of the whole cosmos we prevent that from being in us at our core so this divine seed is there but we have to build the corresponding receptacle for it just like the lingam is there and it has its yoni its receptacle so that is the first thing to find our centre and to work out of this to free ourselves from all kinds of artificial structures which we acquire, which society imposes on us etc etc now this is one reason why people fear spirituality and there's still a great fear of spirituality in the world because somewhere along the line people sense I have to let go of a lot of ideas about myself and this is very 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 hard because we all need somewhere a feeling that we are and we are of course but we are not this that or the other a very vast area of false identification is with our problems with our sickness this is one of the biggest hindrances to healing However much pain and trouble my problems cause me, <coughs> don't you dare take them away from me. Otherwise, what will I be? Very simply put, I think we know this syndrome more or less. I've met it very, very many times. You can even find traces of all these things in ourselves. We must be aware of that. Don't identify with our problems. We are not our problems. We are not our sickness. The less you identify it, th- identify with it, the more easily you can free yourself from it so this is the one great work we have to do I think I want to stay on this point just a little longer where can we find evidence that the human being really is this how do you know I'm not just talking beautiful theories this brings me back to the question of nourishment uh, there's one great saint in India, he's no longer living but he—he he think he died in about 1950 he was called Ramana Maharishi, and he was a very pure being and there happened to be a lot of very beautiful photographs of him I've seen very many of them a very, very beautiful face very calm, very tranquil with very lovely eyes and I remember one of his more famous pupils used to say it was enough for me to go and sit in his presence and to meet his gaze, his eyes that was a complete nourishment that filled me and from this I also realized my divine identity now what are human eyes? they are different after all from animals eyes from a cat, a dog, a lion etc I don't know if you've noticed this There's something more focused uh, animal eyes can be very beautiful it's lovely to look in the eyes of an animal but they don't have that which is in the human eye now what is really in the human eye? what do we see when we look at the human being? We are looking at and we are seeing something that cannot be seen. And that is the black pupil of the eye. The blackness, of the center. This is where the gaze is. It's not in the iris, the colored part, or in the white, the cornea. It's in the very center, the black. That looks at it and you know when I'm looking at you and you know when you're looking at me. And they could have very good reasons for not wanting to look at you. <laughs> especially if I've just stolen your purse or something like that. Then I want to avoid your gaze you know the, the, there's nothing really more powerful or more beautiful than the human gaze and yet it is this invisible light of the eye we all have this experience we all know it now this points exactly to this is a pure and accurate and absolute reflection of this divine reality the divine seed which is not anything and yet which is everything now it is said that a human being can lie, can tell lies can even make his face and his gestures so they misrepresent the truth the people who are very clever at deceiving others but this centre part of the eye cannot lie the pupil of the eye, the eye light, that cannot deceive another human being this is the centre of truth in us, this is where we are this divine seed in us is truth, is what is So you can see that I'm talking about coming more and more and more to truth. So we are truth for this seed to enter into us. That is half the work. The other half is to work with all of that in us which goes through time, which lives on this earth. Now we have experiences from morning till night through all our waking hours events are happening to us of one kind or another what we need to do is to take out of this stream of events that which was important that which was valuable, that which was good that which we could unfold as a capacity, as a virtue, as a quality and we need to give this as nourishment to the divine seed now I spoke about the moon and the beautiful aura of the moon why is that a good image for us? because if you say for the moment the moon represents the divine seed what we are doing is building an aura around the moon we have to build an aura a, a energy field around this divine seed which corresponds in its vibration with that which is inside the seed just as the aura, the radiance around the moon corresponds to the moon and is in a way a certain reflection of it so our whole inner constellation of thinking of feeling of willing our whole inner soul life gradually has to attain that vibration that level that quality which corresponds to what is in the centre it is a nourishment that is so that this seed can unfold this blue capsule this blue pearl can open and the gods can live in this organism of time and space the energy field around has to correspond to it it has to be nourishment for it so we, as it were, have to bring this nourishment daily of that which we could unfold in terms of our thoughts, our feelings, our capacities our deeds, this essence of our earthly experience is what we offer to create this energy field, if you like, this aura around the seed to the point where the seed can open and live in this atmosphere. If the seed were to open in the atmosphere that we normally have it would suffocate, would not be able to live so it remains closed. Just like for the child to be born there has to be good air that the child can breathe. Similarly when our divine being is born there has to be an atmosphere in, in us in which it can live. So this is the task of nourishment now we have to develop these capacities, we have to so purify and gather our experiences we have to create a climate in us that is so pure, that is so healthy, that is so serene, so peaceful and so on and this has to actually then be given to the seed now this is a kind of spiritual, alchemical process I can't exactly say how you do it but if you carry out rituals such as that which I described at the beginning giving to the lingam the water, the milk, the yoghurt, the sugar and all these things because this has a cosmic correspondence it can trigger this process now we say that if you give pure water to the lingam this is the pure water of truth it is also the pure water of life we also think of this pure water as water from a mountain spring very clear and containing many minerals it is the purest extract of the mineral kingdom, we offer this to the lingam then it's also a custom, I forgot to mention that quite often they offer rice water water that has cooked rice they offer that this is then the water that has been permeated by the plant kingdom then we offer milk the water that has been through the animal through the animal kingdom this represents more now our feeling world whereas the rice water represents more our life energies and the uh, pure spring water can represent, if you like, the purest extract of our physical body and then all the other substances have similar significances so by doing this outwardly with full devotion, full concentration, full good intention it also triggers, stimulates that process inwardly of creating this luminous court, this luminous atmosphere around the seed so this is our most important task this is what we need to do on earth today, Whatever religious or non-religious path we follow, it's not a question of religion anymore but of actually carrying something out this is what its real aim would be it's, oh yes, I'll come to my pictures for a moment uh, these are just kind of improvisations I did but they have in it this seed principle and they're all trying to indicate in some way that the entire creation is contained within the seed but on the other hand it is also projected outwards there's another picture which I've just sold so I can't bring it where it has rather, for me at least uh, rather smoky forms arising and rather, I called it incense of the soul because there again, there's a direct correspondence between air, smoke and our feelings and when we light incense in a certain way we are um, pr- purifying the atmosphere we are putting a symbolic representation of our feelings being purified and rising up like smoke does so we have to describe supersensible processes in terms of sensible of, of uh, symbols in time and space there's a practice that uh, is very recommended in anthroposophical circles which is that every day before we sleep we look back on the day and we see the events of life, sometimes they say do it in reverse order but just go through the events of the day, that's a very good exercise to do well, I can do it also from different points of view, well, I can do it from what, what I have learned today but also, and this is very valuable, what was precious, what was special, what was beautiful what have I attained today make this conscious then there are actual meditations where we carry out this worship of the lingam that I described but we do it purely inwardly and we gradually begin to feel as we actually begin to incorporate this seed we actually begin to feel that we are offering to this central seed in us that we are pouring the water we are uh, pouring the milk or it says also in some versions we are taking the sacred oils and anointing the inner lingam with this, the sacred oils representing the purest experiences of our senses so I think that's actually all I have to bring to you tonight that's the uh, essence of it, the nourishment of our divine essence and the goal of human evolution. I think it would be very good now if I let you make any comment or ask any questions that you want about this these are very good things and a lot of very positive and helpful things are finding their way into the world now I don't know if any of you know the uh, great teacher Omran Mikhail Ivanov he's,
2: he's had uh, a talk about Jean um, yeah.
0: oh uh,
1: yeah. he
2: went he just had to the end of her project
0: and a wonderful talk He gives wonderful teachings on how we can connect very everyday events like taking a shower with higher forces. And if you make that connection, it begins to work. If you think you are the lingam and the shower, the water is pouring through you, you will purify yourself on other levels than just the physical. And again, all these different water features are just as a waterfall or a wonderful mountain stream, where the water flows over the lingam. This also stimulates that in us. It is an image of the same reality or again the fountains you see these, these are also these are lot, many many things are also introduced originally sometimes by spiritual masters in a very surreptitious way into our ordinary life to stimulate these processes in us I look at the waterfall um, at
3: Chatsworth House I don't know yes. if you've ever seen that but it goes down for many many steps mm. and it's amazing it's really yeah, the most amazing but the world yeah. yeah. yes yes yes
0: years, huh? yeah. yes yeah. I know that there are some very creative series of numbers, 1, 3, 7, 9, all these different numbers have their different significances, and that 108 is a very, is part of the creative process in a special way that I actually don't know. Of course it will be connected with 9 and 12, with the 8 and the 1, all these things have to be quite correct.
1: I'm not quite sure how, but it's got something to do with the up and up, because it links into to time itself. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The is, the I can't remember how. But no. it's,
0: it's like a fraction of it. Yes. Yeah. And there's 108 names of the goddess. Yes. yes. There are 108 names, there are also 1,008 names. It's all a 1,080 names. I don't remember. You know, But there are all these numbers that are so important. And then there are 108 uh, seeds on Amala. And so on. It's a, it's a very important number in that way yes and these 108 or 1080 names are recited at uh, uh, of the god of the goddess a very different one it's a different series takes about two hours to, to recite these 1080 names of Shiva we do that on Mahasivarastra the great festival of Shiva yes
1: mm-hmm.
0: did you
3: also want to say something about I think you would say something about what shadow side beings are doing purposely to try to keep people off their spiritual path or from succeeding in uh, ascending in the lifetime. So
0: There's a great deal one could say about that. I don't know where one starts with that question, but I think the main aspect, the important thing to say for the moment is that if the human being attains the goal of evolution as we should be doing right now then these beings will lose their power base. Mm-hmm. They will also lose their energy source because in the worst cases, the worst scenario, what they want is to take human substance, human beings as their material, as their food, as their slaves they don't want us to be thinking free Mm -hmm. we can see many examples I mean, I don't want to become too political right now but (coughs) we can see in the world right now that there are very many attempts to subvert human consciousness, human freedom uh, to flood us with all kinds of material goods that we don't need simply that we are distracted that we get more and more entrapped in consumerism, etc, etc we all know these things uh, because they want human beings to be in a position where they can be used, where they can be manipulated and this is totally against the divine will the divine will for human beings are free, that for good, create a spirit what is a good spirit? a good spirit is one who works for the whole not just for a limited section of, of the universe at the cost of the rest.
1: I agree with that, actually. And I think mm. the only way that we are actually going to get through that mm. is not by actually just being a yoga teacher. Mm. I noticed that, you know, you can talk to people and you can mm. try and um, bring them through mm. uh, into thinking like that. But you're not going to work like that. The only way you're going to do that is set by example. Mm. I always said to my teachers that if I come in, and I've got great respect for my pupils mm. with a bottle of beer in one hand and a cigarette in the other. Yeah. I mean, I don't need, need to do anything, yeah. but I would already create a terrible barrier between my pupils and myself. Mm-hmm. But if you go in with not just love and truth and honesty and all things you know about, but just showing by example mm. what you should be doing, yeah. that has like, more of an effect than actually opening your mouth or saying anything. Mm. If that they pick that up and think, yes, Mm. that's the way it should be done, that's Mm. what I like about that person. Yes,
0: And
1: I think that in many ways that's the only way we're going to get through. Yes, yes, yes. yes. What do you think of the concept of Bodhisattva's putting energy out, is that uh, throughout the world which is causing a change in people's consciousness,
0: Mm. do you believe that that happens? Oh yes, definitely, yes, I do. uh, the Bodhisattva, the Bodhisattva is one who has attained the goal of human evolution and is no longer obliged by karma or any other reason to incarnate again on the earth but chooses freely to do so uh, to serve, to help the rest of humanity, and the rest of creation and this is very graphically described in the Buddhist, the Mahayana Buddhist tradition that is the Buddhism that really arose around the time and after the time of Jesus Christ not so much the original Buddhism where the uh, nuance was more to liberate oneself from this earth full stop but really that whatever you have attained you use that now to help your fellow creatures and then it was very very graphically and beautifully described in quite another way by Rudolf Steiner which he calls it then the meeting with the greater guardian of the threshold where the pupil who has reached that stage where he or she is entitled to remain in heaven as it were to remain in higher dimensions higher spheres is not obliged to incarnate again but is invited if he wishes to uh, continue to help his fellow creatures and then even his evolution or her evolution will go on and on and on whereas if you decide just to stop in heaven you, you remain if perhaps in a state of a certain blessedness but your evolution doesn't go on but now especially in our time the bodhisattvas, the masters and I'm meaning at the moment the same thing if I say master or bodhisattva they are very very active very much helping humanity very concerned with earthly affairs <coughs> many things right from uh, granite stones that are placed upright and have water pouring over them right up to many popular songs that you hear in the streets of India, maybe in the West I don't know. Many, 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 many ways they are doing everything possibly they can to help human beings now to take their steps. Some of them are incarnated in physical bodies, some are working from around the spiritual sphere around the earth. And we can become aware of these beings. Now there is a lot of nonsense talked by Masters, talked talk about Masters. And there are a whole series of masters given, for instance, in connection with the Aura Soma oils. This is all false. You see, unfortunately, there's a great deal of spiritual deception, spiritual charlatanry around the earth, not just emanating from human beings, but emanating from beings that stand higher than the human, that are not working in human interest. So there's a great deal of error in this whole field of channeling and so-called masters, ascended masters, all those this is all nonsense but there are ascended masters they do exist but they don't uh, manifest through channeling and all these things and this is one reason why esotericism and spirituality has in many circles a very bad name because the scope for deception and self-deception is absolutely enormous that's why again I say come to the centre come to an absolute inner truthfulness then you will not be deceived but there's so much self-gratification in channeling, receiving from so-called St. Michael, so-called Rudolf Steiner, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's not only stupid and distracts you, but in the end it's dangerous. It's a very, very dangerous bypass which places you under the influences of beings who do not favor human evolution. So, the masters are there, yes, and they're working in very, very many ways, and they have brought many, many new stimuluses to humanity in the last century and they are very much with us now and it is possible, that, that's a whole other chapter, you heard my tape on the Masters uh, it is possible to work with a particular Master um, if that Master has a particular area of interest that coincides with your interest. I'll just give you one example if you are somebody who likes to work with children, with education, with nourishment then there's a very particular master who can help you in this area um, now I cannot name that master because I don't know anymore who it is, I know who it was but the positions change and now for the present time their names are not being revealed so if anyone knows who the masters are they don't know because it is at the moment not being told but nevertheless you can feel that being, the being connected with nourishment with children, with education, is under the influence of what we call the green ray, the colour green. And if you connect yourself with that energy of green and it's complementary, a gentle rose colour, you will meet, you will place yourself in the ray of that master and you can receive inspiration. But not in the, by way of channeling, by way of the ray of the I am, your absolute clear presence.
2: Traditionally, I think in green is associated yeah. with Hilarion, isn't it? It was, it was said to have been St. Paul uh, on whom you were giving us a talk in December. Right here. Yeah, I can't remember, to be
1: honest with you. It's been
2: a while since I gave a talk on the lines. I'm not quite sure about that, but I have a feeling that that's uh, yeah. mm-hmm. that, um, the colour of um, healing, integration, and unity.
0: Yes. I can say nothing about Master Hilarion. That was. Uh, I have no comment on that at all. Mm. But he was not named when the circle of the Twelve was named to us. And in any case, that circle has changed now. Mm. Yes, any more questions? Any more
2: comments?
0: No, I haven't on St. Paul either. No, I haven't got any. I can't say anything about St. Paul at the moment. I have to leave that to you. Mm. I really don't know. I can't. Mm Are you
3: speaking on the masters of Shambhala tomorrow?
0: I'm speaking a little on Shambhala and I'm speaking in a certain way on the masters, yes. Yes. And you're on that yes. Teacher. Yes. Mm-hmm. But you think
1: if God is,
0: um, mm-hmm. alright, sure, yes.
1: And the altar, do yes. to know that wherever we're at, yes. we're going to be at anyway? Yes. And wherever we're going to be and wherever we're going to progress to, mm-hmm. we're going to get to that point. Yes. He's Yes. And knowing, and he knows where we yes. come from, where we're going, yes. And everything. Yes. So we're just going through that evolution in the way he wants us to go.
0: Now this is a very, very important point here and this in a way distinguishes, I think, between God as conceived in the cosmic tradition and God as conceived at least by certain Muslims. It is not that God creates and everything has a predetermined and fixed path and the script is already written and we are just, you know, doing the part. Creation always involves something new. And the essence of creation, the essence of God's creation is that there is always the new is born. If you like, to put it very simply, God loves to have children. Now, if you have children... Of course you want the best for them Of course you have ideas and plans about how their life should go But if you are a true parent with true love You don't wish to determine that path of your child The beauty of having children is It's a new being One that has never been on the earth before In this form at least And you want to see that unfolding and help And help that unfolding But this is a free being Now the essence of this divine seed in us It is, in a certain sense, an image of God, a replica of God, but God is free, and as such we are free beings. And so, if you like, God creates us and sees what happens. Don't ever think of God as a stern father who watches and sees that you behave yourself or knows exactly where you're going and just watches you do it. God is much more like the being who's created children, what are my children going to do? this is the secret of the Trinity really of a God that is a Trinity, God divides himself into a polarization, father and mother we say so that something can arise it is the third principle that arises between them the child and the child is always new so we are actually free we can choose, there is a part of us that can really choose to go one way or the other and at this particular time in our evolution when the human being is about really to be born where well, we are reaching a certain maturity we are rising from the level of becoming a creature a consumer into becoming a creative being we are now entering a stage where we are no longer servants of God but we are becoming co-workers it is said today, my teacher says time and time again, God wants co-workers and that is why the present situation of the earth in the last resort is in the hands of human beings not of higher beings, higher beings are there to help to protect, to enable it to happen but it is we who are going to make it happen, or not if we choose to but what is being offered us is that now we've done our part now it is for you to complete the creation we have a very nice prayer in German we say it before meals I can say it in English just a moment our eternal food is to do the will of our heavenly father and to complete his work through Christ his son which is referring to the I am presence in us so that it may become on earth as it is in the heavens, mm. not to abolish the earth. The earth we raise up to a higher level through our work, through our creativity. <coughs> I don't lose any I can drink. My throat is suddenly dry.
1: On that assumption, if everything, if we were to take the wrong um, route and yes. we were going completely wrong, yes, then I like to think that that happens. That mm the ultimate source would sort of interfere and
0: come in and give us a (laughs) help. Yes, uh, it's it's rather like this. As far as our present Earth situation is concerned, human beings uh, are learning from experience and they may let things go to the brink with us, but the way it is at the moment, they will not let the Earth go under. They will intervene if necessary to save this Earth evolution, this planet, because this planet is very important at the moment, it has reached a very
1: mm.
0: significant stage in its development and is important for the surrounding cosmos. In general human beings can choose. Now in the Bible it says you know, there is a division between the sheep and the goats, the chosen and the not chosen and so on. We are right in such a process at the moment. And we can choose. Thanks very much. Gulp, gulp, gulp. doesn't come down the tape recorder. Okay. Yes. So those who are able to <coughs> receive, to receive the light, to go on, they will be able to go on. The others who can't, who don't, who refuse, will remain behind. This does not mean eternal damnation. You go to hell. You've lost it. It means their development will go on at a slower pace. And perhaps, ultimately, in a different cosmic sphere, it could also be that. But, of course, the whole divine purpose and the whole way of things happening is that everything, all beings, in the end, find their way back to unity with God. But we can choose whether it's now or ten million years or whenever we like. And my teacher sometimes puts it like this. Every soul is equally valuable. It's only a question of time and the pace of when they arrive there each human soul is equally valuable but each human soul is different is unique that is the interest in evolution and each human soul is like a child that goes its own way in the sense that I've explained earlier and as such, if you like, that's interesting to God why should God create a predetermined, determined pre-planned thing no, he creates so that more creation, more creation, more creation can arise through free beings I always think each one is so special and so
3: unique that they have something they can do better than anyone else and that's why they're here because if there was only one of us needed only one of us would be here
1: yes,
0: yes Okay. okay anything else from anybody else or are we going to have a very disciplined early night tonight <laughs>
1: Karen do you think that's why at the moment yoga has very much come to the fore
0: yes I do I think it, and that way it's a very positive thing mm. I do think that the tr- traditional yoga is a good thing but it's not so relevant for today as people make out uh, I've noticed that even yoga itself is undergoing a transformation the way it's being taught by some modern teachers it, it is nevertheless a, a wonderful thing but I think it's a real entry in here for people who otherwise would find no access to self-transformation and it begins by giving people a more spiritual relationship to their own body the exercises are good if they're taught well, they do make you healthy, they do set in motion good energy streams in the body. But the reason why I'm saying it is in itself not the way of today as such is because we need actually a new kind of yoga, which is what I am learning with my Master. This yoga that was given, the traditional yoga, was given thousands of years ago and it was given to help the human bo- being take hold of the physical body more strongly and now we're in a stage where we need to develop much more an awareness of the etheric body directly the pranic body, the life energy system that permeates and sustains the physical body we need to work now directly with these so-called etheric forces which is also the meaning of the Waterman, the age of Aquarius we're in the age of Aquarius now, we are the water bearer we need to be able to work directly with our ether forces Now of course the old yoga knew of these forces but it didn't set them free in the same way we need exercises that help us to set those forces free in such a way that we can use them and master them and penetrate with the I am more deeply into them and this is the modern yoga and I've noticed with certain yoga teachers coming to the west and so on they're beginning to sense this in some way and the yoga exercises are beginning to change and as such it's good so on the one hand I can really applaud it but I've also seen many people especially Western people especially in India searching for transformation searching for enlightenment stuck in the old yoga and I can see them getting stuck. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not uh, pro- and they sometimes feel that also they don't know why because they need a different kind of exercise and the yoga isn't providing it
3: does this new yoga have a name
0: or is it Kriya yoga or it's, there, it's not kriya yoga but kriya yoga is also very useful in that it takes hold of the kundalini energies it begins to, and we're, this, all this that I've been talking about as a divine seed is intimately connected with what we call kundalini but I haven't talked about it from that point of view tonight Do you
1: more about them, bhakti yoga
0: which is more so? no, I haven't been talking especially about any of those but if you like, bhakti yoga is is an aspect here, yeah, that uh, devotion is one of those very important feelings or soul attitudes that we need to develop to create this aura around the Divine Seed and a part of devotion will help us to do that very much but the Kundalini as a, is a very big theme and I'm saving that for my next visit the Kriya Yoga nevertheless uses these forces directly and as such it is useful I don't know enough about it to make more of a comment on it, on it at the moment but I know some people who are engaged in this stream of Kriya Yoga that comes from the yoga, uh, uh, Yogananda mm-hmm. and I also have the feeling there that they're doing some very good things but they're also doing things that can cause them to stick mm-hmm. um, because exactly these insights that I have been talking about are not actually quite there. I think yoga, yeah that is true, of course it's quite right what you say. Yoga as such is capable of transformation and I've noticed transformation is coming in it and the yoga teachers of the West who are sincere and serious will look for these things. I am very closely associated with a young Indian man, an Ayurvedic doctor. I live with his family and he, we've had a lot of contact with each other he teaches the traditional Patanjali yoga he's very good in it and he himself has discovered that this yoga has to progress and he himself has discovered ways to do this which I found to be in harmony with what my teacher is teaching one reason why ego enters into this whole yoga area is because the old yoga teachers they are clinging on to the old yoga but it's no longer penetrated fully with insight and it is no longer being transformed and wherever something is not able to be transformed it's not able to be living this is their arrogance and ego and power seeking enters in but he himself has uh, now called this his particular form of yoga urja Yoga, energy yoga and of course what my teacher is teaching is this new yoga but it doesn't have one particular trade name at the moment not just that, that also I'm dealing far more with exercises that are founded on a very very deep knowledge of the physical and the etheric and the whole constitution and these exercises tend to be much more exercises in movement much more than the end position that you come to it's how you get there, the process that you come through and some of these exercises we call deep gymnastics and so they really do work with the muscles of the body and so on but at the same time they work on all levels and have a very big significance for developing your spiritual body I've discovered just a very few of these connections myself and our teacher has encouraged us he said do these exercises and study how they work but they tend to be more dynamic and moving more interested in the process, the route whereby you come to a certain bodily position, and of course the breathing, because in yoga, of course, you combine mm. breathing and asana. Not all do. No, 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 all but, but, no, no. Um, and then, But it also includes other types of movements as well as what we call these deep gymnastics. It includes a very great deal of very free flowing movements and different kinds of flowing movements, which work very directly on the etheric body. It includes the whole sphere of dance, what we call cosmic dance, <coughs> and dance gestures which again have great workings on the human organism, I mean now the greater organism, the chakras, the etheric body and so on, but they are dances and often combined with initiatic melodies so the melodies also work. So this whole spectrum I include under uh, what, what we can call yoga, uh, the teaching of my teacher, the whole, he sometimes gives the name ideal rhythmus, the rhythm of the cosmos or the cosmic dance but if it goes from real gymnastic muscular exercises right up to the sphere of dance and also free dance but done in a certain way so that your movement body comes into real harmony with the whole cosmos thereby for the first time you attain total freedom in your movement
1: are you still following the classical lines of yoga or is it completely different? There's a complete freedom in what you're doing. I mean, is there a, an ultimate exercise? Say for instance, like triangle. Mm. You do a certain thing with triangles. Mm. Um, I understand that you're not it's not the getting there to the idea. No, no it's the actual Yeah performing yes how you feel when you're actually doing it yes but is there a, a classical exercise that you're working to or is there complete freedom in
0: well there are certain there are certain and there's not one exercise well perhaps there is one exercise in a way that sums up all the exercises there is one such and that would be what we we call the life tree exercise which is really an aesthetic exercise that works very directly on the aesthetic body mm-hmm. but on all levels and uh, I, we always do that exercise daily, twice a day. It's a very, very profound exercise. So do
1: they do that at the place that's at Shiva
0: Land? Oh yes, yes. We do all this work at Shiva Land. But we do, there are great many. There's a tremendous uh, vocabulary of exercises. And it's not a question of one exercise, but of choosing very many that work on different areas of your being. I mean, I could get up and start demonstrating now, but this is perhaps not quite the place. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a, and it's a body of exercises that's very effective, and works very quickly. That has, would you agree with that, Jill, or how do you feel about this? Because you started this work, and you do these kind of exercises with me, with us. Yeah, yes, they they work on your energies very quickly. They work on all levels, um, and all this. This is why our center is there. This is one of the main aspects of our project. Is the central spiritual school the Central part, the central area, which we also call Bhairavnagar, or the home of Shiva and Shakti, where the temples are. Yes, sorry.
2: All, right, all I was going to say was that, of um, course, Yogananda claimed for Kriya Yoga that it would uh, um, accelerate a person's evolution by millions of years. It's so, a very large uh, Yeah. It would be an immense evolution. Yeah. Um, there are one or two people um, who in our group who are very keen on the self-realisation process and and um, Yogananda's teachings I was just wondering if you had any point more generally on his teachings as a, as a, as a way forward and uh, particularly on the autobiography of a yogi and Man's Eternal Quest which are his two main books uh, yes uh,
1: uh, I can't say a
0: great deal about it I felt that Yogananda himself was a very Pure being a very light filled being and that probably what he brought was very good it was connected with the kundalini and as such if it really activates the kundalini in a good way it would do that exactly what you've described and what I'm describing is of a similar nature it suddenly places you on a higher level of evolution quite suddenly if this awakening really happens this is intimately connected uh, with the kundalini I've described creating this aura, this energy field around the seed if you do this, of course the kundalini will awake directly what he's doing is calling up some of this energy of the kundalini now we say the kundalini is awake or it's not awake but the kundalini itself is very complex it is the fire that created us it is, and it contains it has to do with the DNA code and so on it is your individual aspect of the goddess which has created you and it knows your light code and this very complex fire has 72 main streams and it only needs one of them a little bit of one of them to waken up and already your evolution is greatly greatly speeded up if you awaken all 72 streams at once you will die immediately you will burn Kundalini is not something to be fooled around with which is why I haven't mentioned it or made it a theme tonight and I actually want to learn more from my teacher, get more indications from him before I address it very publicly exercises
1: that you do there yeah. will mm. actually help yes. to uh, raise the different yes. streams of pain. yes,
0: any good yoga will do that now what is not good about certain forms of Hatha Yoga is where they try to force the kundalini upwards, as they do in certain schools through what they call these energy locks, the bandhas and so on, they try to force the kundalini into the sushumna and then that can create very bad problems if the organi- organism isn't prepared right up to even causing death yes. that happens um, I imagine and I probably it is so, in the Self-Realization Fellowship they have a good knowledge and they don't do anything that would cause danger to the organism and he has a way of stimulating the kundalini on what we call the vital level or that it wakes up to that extent that the organism is prepared I assume that I don't really know but I don't have any evidence to the contrary whereas with some other schools of yoga that I know about I know that they do sometimes force things and that's very disastrous so probably he did And I know for certain days circulate the energies in a certain way, which also comes in our exercises. But the way we work, it does two things. On the one hand, it gradually purifies the whole system, clears the pathways for the kundalini. And on the other hand, it begins to give that amount of stimulus that the kundalini can flow on what we call the vital level. Because a certain kundalini flow has always to be there that we can really live. You know, it is, after all, our source of life so it clears it and the chakras on the vital level they can fully fulfill their function but when the seed is there or when the ray of the I am at least is properly installed in the human being that will at a certain point itself call the, call the kundalini awake and this is the only way that is healthy for the kundalini as such to awaken um, but as I say from what I gather from uh, the work of Kriya Yoga of the Self-Realization Fellowship it is a healthy path and it is certainly true that with every awakening of the Kundalini your evolution is enhanced what my teacher is doing he's also bringing in quite new elements into the human being which also lead to great leaps in evolution in consciousness this is what is meant to happen now
2: um, and the other two great Indian teachers you've mentioned yesterday Sri Aurobindo and today Ramana Maharshi yes did they also have systems of of, of yoga or systems which would accelerate our evolution or did they rather um, leave that as more matter of detail if they gave a more cosmic picture would it be I mean uh, Aurobindo is often known as integral yoga yes Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think actually Aurobindo is difficult to study but I think he provides the best bridge between east and the west and from what the little I've read from him it seems to correspond most closely with, with uh, what I've learned from my teacher it has that much detail this amount of detailed knowledge I don't find anywhere else with Ramana, Ramana Maharishi he had the very special task of awakening this I am in the human being and his sole teaching was this just by his presence just by his being he just said, inquire who you are that was really the sum total and he brought a kind of higher awakening of the cosmic I am that was his task Sri Aurobindo worked more with bringing down this cosmic I am energy he talked about the supramental light into the general earth atmosphere he did a very great work for the whole of humanity in a different way in that he was more, less concerned with his own or the individual's development rather more concerned with enabling the whole energy field of the earth to be so enhanced that human beings could go on progressing because actually in one way we are so declining, we are so polluted we've so polluted our planet that there's no physical body on earth even of the highest yogi that isn't affected by this pollution and he was doing something to counteract that he was more trying to make it possible that um, we can all take up these evolutionary steps it could be that the divine seed in some people cannot enter and little then just go back to the divine and that organism will just fall away I mean a, I'm talking about a, or incarnation so it is we are at a very important point where we have to begin to transform the earth now so these different great yogis and teachers had certain aspects of the work I could imagine that with um, Yogananda he had the task of beginning to awaken to activate the Kundalini to transform the physical body the brain, the nervous system whereas Ramana it was definitely to awaken the sense of the I am and the individual the true identity and then Aurobindo was war- working behind the scenes it was the mother that ran the ashram he lived in retirement but he was doing a great spiritual work bring the spiritual light down and he had a great knowledge about how the spirit works in matter
2: I uh, talking about the new blue coming out of the heart chakra that uh, uh, oh, yeah. this is a, a new aspect of the heart yes. I don't know if there is anything you can uh, uh, come across that would relate to this No. Oh, no. yeah. so the heart with the green. Yes, exactly, but he said that the green is still there, but uh, I think one of the things he said was the heart chapter was, was a bit affected by all our past experiences, and the green had become tallied a little bit over, over many lifetimes, um, and this new blue was a new development, uh, I can't remember the, the details.
0: Well, there are many colors in the chakras, you see, we think the ca- chakra is one color and you find in many yoga books the, the heart chakra is red, it is green, it is blue, but I will say this, that on the one hand it could be that is perceived something of what I am talking about. Every human being is equipped, so to speak, from the very beginning with a kind of extract of cosmic law. It is a kind of primal conscience, you know, we have this problem. But here are you and I as normal human beings and we are often asked to say whether we believe in let us say Jesus Christ or Yogananda or this, that or the other and there are many, many situations where we have to decide out of our own judgment is this true or not true? or is this good or not good? and here we are, normal human beings and we have to make these good decisions that would seem to be an impossible situation God has put us in an impossible situation but we do have at the very centre somewhere deeply buried in the heart this as it were cosmic extract this extract of cosmic law which is a kind of cosmic conscience or measuring rod and it is totally independent of any um, moral systems or social systems it's, it's what is. You know, God isn't a Christian or a Hindu or a Muslim or doesn't believe in one wife or four wives or whatever. It's the truth. It's what is. And yes, it is in a way. It's, and this possibly could appear in the form of blue. Blue is connected with truth. And I think this cosmic essence, which we call SOR in our tradition, S-O-R, it might be, I'm not sure, but I have a feeling it might be pictured spiritually as a little blue sphere. So that might be what Stanley Messenger was perceiving. I don't know. Either of these are possible. But this deep, we also call this spiritual blue, the Marian blue, blue of Mary, but it's a spiritual color, which means it is luminous, as you described. This also is in any way intimately connected with the heart, the heart being our center of truth. So it would be quite proper to see the blue. some gurus who say the heart chakra is blue, but as I say, a heart chakra isn't one color. It's nourished by a particular color, among others green. Yes, but I mean, every, every material object also has its effect on the spiritual. Now, it's interesting that the gods in Hinduism are very often portrayed as blue, that Krishna is portrayed as a dark blue, Shiva is very often, but not always, portrayed with a bluish complexion. Yeah and God appears as blue, we put it like this when he's coming to re-establish truth in the world
1: right.
0: and Krishna says, I come, says in the Bhagavad Gita I come whenever the world is in great danger I incarnate uh, to bring the world back to, you know, to its right path whenever evil increases um, Shiva, the god Shiva, drank the world poison and it got stuck in his throat and he transformed it here, it became blue. It's called the blue-throated one. The blue is connected with the truth and with the transformation of what it?